It's not as if a deep, resonant voice like this might represent her grandfather to her, like a voice echoing in her memory. Maybe perhaps instead representing the tradition that he loved. Granddaughter Daria writes, I often wondered why my grandfather loved his Russian church as much as he did. For me, the church seemed dark and scary, the language unfamiliar, and the rules mired in antiquity. Years later, I visited his church and struck up a friendship with a very kind and spiritually-minded deacon who lived across the street from the church. He had known all my relatives and mentioned how my grandfather loved sitting in church pews and gazing at the icons on the walls and the ceiling. He told the deacon that it made him feel as if he were in heaven. As I've done my research, I realized that after working in the small, tight, cold, constricted veins of coal, that a bright, beautiful, golden, light-filled church was a place of rest and peace for him, his own personal heaven. The song, God Grant You Many Years, was often sung for special occasions, such as birthdays, saints' days, and the start of a new year. Dario says, it is the last song on my Come From a Cold Town CD, and it offers a blessing that lives may be long and that they may be filled with a deep sense of peace, rest, and spiritual awakening. Daria Mamaluk Hazuano an award-winning singer-songwriter received a 2020 Leeway Art and Change grant to complete a new album of historical and original songs about her grandparents and their immigrant experiences in the anthracite coal fields of northeastern Pennsylvania. She opens the album with the song Stories of Your Life. You said a grandfather You were just a kid did you know what you were heading for? Were you happy that you did? You didn't find streets of gold with struggle, storm, and strife. Still, I wish you lived to tell the stories of your life. It is no accident that Daria places this song first and the song God Grant You Many Years at the end of the album. She never met her grandpa, but she loves him just the same. And she's taken it on as an expression of that love to tell his stories in the language she loves best, the language of song. When you tell somebody's story, it's like a lot goes on. I will tell all that I know so your life can live on. She is striving to keep his memory alive, and 
and the memories of the others who lived such a life. And she declares her task for us at the start with this song. And after telling us many stories in song, she ends with a benediction for him and for all of us. God grant you many years. A perfect wish at the start of a new year. Daria has spent almost three decades performing in the U.S. and around the world. She's been hailed as an ambassador of song, and she's represented the U.S. in Spain's World Expo in Seville, and has been featured in the Huffington Post for her musical work with children around the world. Daria has won numerous national awards for her culturally diverse music. She is composer of I Have a Dream, a song used widely to celebrate Martin Luther King Day with children everywhere. Her Earth Day anthem, We've Got the Whole World in Our Hands, is used in over a dozen different countries. And her song, Beautiful Rainbow World, is used in Australia as part of a Respecting Others curriculum in South African schools as part of a teacher tolerance initiative. And in a recent book, Beautiful Rainbow World, that features images of children from all over the world. And in 2019, Daria was given a Parent and Teacher's Choice Award for her long-standing work in children's education. Daria Mamaluk Hazwanu paid a visit to the WVIA studios, and she was pleased to have a chance to talk about her family on home turf. My mother and father were both born right above Scranton in two very little towns. One was Mayfield, where her father was an undertaker. And when I researched this album, I found a little ad for him, all in Russian, saying Peter Wilka, undertaker, but all written in Cyrillic and Russian, and it gave his address. People of that generation didn't speak as much, so doing this album meant a lot of research and finding and confirming, wow, this was his role in the community, and this was what he did, and it was just so exciting. And then my father was born in German, Pennsylvania. That's J-E-R-M-Y-N, and it's the birthplace of first aid because of all the mine accidents. And, you know, you always remember going there as a child, coming in and seeing that sign, German, Pennsylvania, birthplace of first aid. And my parents, I think they really had a very tough childhood, as, as most of the people of that time, very poor, food scarcity. My father had been class valedictorian. He had been Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> and he was supposed to get a scholarship. The valedictorian would get a scholarship, but because he was from the Driga, the other side of the tracks, they ended up giving the scholarship to a different person. I think that they were both kind of devastated by the subtle and not so subtle. I don't know if you'd call it racism or, or whatever, just that you don't belong, you're not as good. And I think that really hit both of them hard. And when they were educated, they said, well, we're moving away. You know, we're, we're going to look for greener pastures. And I kind of resented that because going home, going back to Scranton was so, you know, walk down the street. Everyone knew everyone. There was a store, as even as a little kid, you could go in and they would make sure you got what you needed. The big Russian Easters with the Easter baskets. You know, it, it felt like a place to belong. 
and wherever we lived never felt quite that much as community. Well, where did you develop your love of music? Was there music in the household? Church? What was it? Well, there was always music in church. And to be honest, I didn't like the two-hour, 45-minute Russian, high Russian divine liturgy. So I escaped up to the choir. And I usually couldn't read music, so I would just do what the person next to me was, almost like an involuntary shape note singing. (laughs) And it was a wonderful way to learn a little pigeon Russian and, and to sing. I loved how it just filled filled the space. It made you feel a certain way. You know, certain hymns and, and things, they just gave you a sense of quiet and calm. And I went to school and I had a few spectacular teachers. And one of them was an auto harp teacher. And, you know, as a child, I kind of felt like I was, nobody noticed me, cog in a wheel. There was not a lot of attention at home. There was a lot of problems at home. The first teacher that paid attention was an auto harp teacher. And she specifically said, you can do this to the whole class. And if you come back after school, I will show you. She would have you press the chords and play the auto harp. And it impressed me that she believed in me. And she remembered my name and she invited. It was the first person to really tell me, you can do this. I believe in you. I know there's something special in you. And even if it wasn't music, it was that belief. I see you. You know, I remember your name. I think that was when the power of music really, it struck me. If anybody asks you who I am, who I am, who I am, well, if anybody asks you who I am, tell them I'm a child of God. And what age would that have been? Oh, probably first or second grade. So quite a young child, but it made me feel like uh, she believes I can do that. When you say that you were a cog and nobody was paying attention, did you like making music yourself or being in the choir or both? Well, a little of both, but it really made me believe that if I had something to say, that this was my vehicle for doing it. And in the songs I started to listen to at home, you know, the Woody Guthrie, the Pete Seeger... They were telling me about a world that I didn't see in front of my doorstep. They were saying there's a world where, where we can talk about justice, where we can talk about everyone. You know, everybody had a hard time, but we're going to work to make it better. I think my parents didn't like to tell the truth about their childhood because it was so traumatic. And as an adult, you know, now coming to that age, I understand, you know, these things are hard. And it takes a very kind of self-realized person to say, wow, my childhood was very traumatic. So I moved away. And I don't think they ever got there. I think they were always hoping for a time in the future when they would realize it. I think that they felt that coming from such poverty, if they could just have money, that would be the answer. You know, and that's actually, it's a good impulse. If you come from poverty, you wish to have security. But I think what they left out of the equation was the, the seeing. I see my child when they're there and they're hurting. I see my child when they say, I, I want to play guitar or I want to do this. And then helping them and not just kind of mocking them or degrading them. And, you know, I think my parents never understood how they were kind of doing what they learned from their parents. If they knew better, they would have done better. But, you know, as a child, we're, sometimes we're pretty sensitive. We want someone to say, hey, honey, that's great. You know, and and uh, it kind of didn't happen in my home. So but that set me searching, you know, and then searching not just in music, but then people like Pete Seeger and people like 
I remember picking up a record at a, a garage sale. It was Lena Marie sings in eight languages. And there was this beautiful woman who would travel all through the, you know, the Russian and Ukrainian and Polish areas. And I thought, you could do that. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to be like her. When she goes to a German community, she'll sing her songs in German. When she goes to the Polish community, she'll sing this song. And I thought, I can do that. And as I've grown, having traveled and lived in different places, that's what I want. The language is key. You find the language. And for me, it helped to learn language through music. You learn a song, you start learning all your phrases. And there you go. And suddenly you can talk to people and ask them, how are they? Well, is that your daughter? How old is your daughter? You can really make that deep connection that you can't if you're kind of limited by language. So what can you do language-wise? What? <laughs> English, Spanish, Quechua, which is the native language of the Incan Empire. At a certain point, I kind of gave up on the United States and left to live in Peru. And I was so fascinated about the music that I realized, oh, it's not in Spanish, it's in the native language, Quechua. So I had to learn Quechua and, and I belonged to this little dance troupe. That's how they made money. The college students would come from their little villages. They would join this dance troupe in Cusco, the, the center of the, once center of the Incan Empire. And all their dances were in their native language. So going there, I'd be like the guy at the door taking the tourists' money, but I'd be listening to the same show every night. Oh, that's the song from there. And oh, this is how you say that. Oh, that's what a carnaval is. And it was the most amazing, wonderful experience. And then the kids would take me back to their hometown and I'd be able to hear the songs that they were performing being sung in their actual habitat. So there's no better way to learn a language than write from people who know that you respect them and that they're not under a microscope or a microphone, that you're there just to love it. I would frequently tell people when they would be ashamed because there's a great deal of shame over the years about being Indian as being less than a person. And I would say, I've come halfway around the world to hear this. Spanish is good, but I've come halfway around the world to hear you singing Quechua. Quechua is better. And that for the children was a new message. I am here because of your history and the value of your history, not just speaking dominant language. And so you wound up then traveling and absorbing just by your ear and your curiosity, your passion. But you actually did some studying in ethnomusicology, did you? Yes, through a college without walls, through a Quaker school. So everything was really rather free form. What I did is I documented it. You know, I would write, write down all the lyrics, understand what people were telling me about it. And then I was reviewed by the president of the Society for Ethnomusicology, who told me I'd done half of these things wrong and I needed to go back and fix them. And I did, but it was quite a, it was, mm -hmm. I certainly had all the experience. I just wasn't presenting my thesis in a way that made her happy. But that was learning too. And I'm just glad because a great deal of ethnomusicology then was kind of looking at people like almost as things. You know, I will now study a Lakota singing a song as opposed to just being there to love the song and, and sitting there and eating together and, and peeling potatoes with the women. You know, that's how you that's how the music becomes part of you. You know, back then, the reason I didn't want to study study was a lot of it was being compared to Western music. And there was this kind of implied sense that, well, Western music is the best in the world. And if you're not singing harmony, Quechua doesn't hear harmonies. A harmony is an, is an inaccurate note because of how they how they sing what they sing. So you kind of, when you go to another culture, you have to accept that their premises of life are correct, or at least correct for them and not say, gee, that's not like our culture. I found myself constantly being corrected. 
I point to something that was blue and used my word for blue. And there were apparently multiple words for blue. And I had not gotten that right. So the children were there to point <laughs> that that in a culture that needs different words for certain things, you need to get that right. What was one of your favorites from Peru in terms of the subject matter and the delights of the tune? Well, I love singing. It's a, a children's song where kids tease each other because I thought that's so universal. The I'm good at tell on you song. Uh, there's one that goes, yow, yow, puka, puyeras, jai, yow, yow, puka, puyeras, jai, imataru ankisara, uhupi, imataru ankisara, uhupi. And it says, hey, girl in the red skirt, what are you doing? I saw you yesterday in the cornfield. And then, yeah, I'm going to tell your mama, I'm going to tell your papa that I saw you, that you were out there in the cornfield. Now, that could be like goofing off from work or it could be something else. But it was one of those songs that I'm going to run, I'm going to tell. I'm going to holler, I'm going to yell. <laughs> you know? In that case, you don't need the language because, of course, you understand it and you put it forth. Yeah, you know, life is very austere in the Peruvian Andes. So I really feel like the languages and the songs bring a level of kind of happiness and fun. And in the carnivals, boys and girls insult each other. But it's kind of like, I like you, but I'm, I'm not willing to say it. So the insults are like, who is that? Who is that boy? ¿Quién es aquel joven? Who is the boy over there who has a head like a horse? All he's missing is the beak to be a rooster. And, and, and then the boy sings back, well, who is that girl? And, and it's a lot of fun and games to kind of just break open the social contact because people live very separated, but during carnival time, they all come together. So I think sometimes these kind of funny, oh, are you the guy that's blah, blah, blah? No, you're the girl that, <laughs> but it opens up that thing. And that's where people kind of find one another and have their first love. And you have in your experience the love of a teacher or teachers who did that wondrous thing, who heard you, saw you, remembered your name, and all along. So you're learning music, you're learning and loving cultures, you have in your own experience the power of what it means to be taught well. How did all these things ultimately come together for you? Well, I think that I always wanted other people to, I, I felt like I wanted to be that same teacher that said, you can do it. So as I would take instruments out to do shows for children, family shows, I would show them instruments. I would show them drums. I would show them, and I've now gotten into showing teachers how to make crafts so they don't need to purchase a bolangu, a Chinese pellet drum, how they can make one for their class or how each student can make one. Because then you could say, there, you can do it. And this is halfway around the world where everyone celebrates Lunar New Year. You can be playing this instrument. It's a way of interweaving the cultures in a way that's respectful and supportive. And I think that was what I missed, too. Growing up, there was just a lot of those hidden messages, both in the media and in the home. You know, that the certain people were up here and then people were here. And there were some people that were way the heck down there. Whether it was skin color, race, language, whether it was class, whether it was gender identification, there was that, that implicit, you better be this in order to be okay or be safe. And I never bought that. I couldn't understand it. So everything I did had that subtle kind of, what would you call it, like insubordination. I just wanted to say everyone is valid and valuable and please don't be afraid. Please be you. Now, the brakes had to be applied because of covid 
Have you been able to do the kinds of things that you had been doing on Zoom? Well, in some way, yes, but I had already started a Teachers Pay Teachers site, and it's this wonderful educational site where I make a lot of my stuff free, which explains what are maracas, what is a cocorico, where does this drum come from, could you color a, can you color the guiro? So I was hoping that through these kind of worksheets, and I did the Teachers Make an Instrument Challenge, gave them suggestions and directions. Yeah, so where there's a will, there's a way, and I didn't want to stop dead in the water. So I just spent more time on, on that Teachers Pay Teachers site, giving teachers more resources, more pictures. And the most wonderful thing I've heard from people is teachers say, I used your materials about the doll, which is a North Indian drum, because we had immigrants come and these children felt very left out. So we did a lot of your coloring pages and they went from feeling, oh, I'm, I'm the odd man out to like, I'm going to tell everyone in this class about my drum or how to play it or how I like it. And I love when teachers reach back and go, I used your materials to do this. Our one point, one teacher said she used a song I wrote, Asalaamu Alaikum, Peace Be Upon You. It's been used a lot in, in teaching tolerance. She said that she put that as part of her winter choir and that the Muslim families came up and said, you know, we just never felt included. And this year, you singing a song that expresses, even though there wasn't really a holiday at the time of year, but we felt this year we felt included. My kids felt included. Thank you. And I think that's what we can do as musicians. We can not make the material, make it available. And the underlying message is that whoever you are, whoever you came to this planet as, is valid, valuable, and please don't hide it. And I asked you if you would consider sharing with us some holiday thoughts, holiday music, since we're talking in the December holiday period. Tell us about holidays in your life. Oh, my goodness. Life. Well, I remember the choir would come every year, right around New Year's, and, you know, Russian New Year's and regular New Year's was different. But I remember being a little girl looking up, and these giants came in in their big winter coats, and the house was filled with, God grant you many years. And that, that song rang in, in my memory forever so I put that one on the new CD in English and and in Ukrainian or Russian no hayayeta I cannot hear that song without hearing the men's voices and the women's voices and just that sense of unity and that lovely wish God grant you many years you know my grandfather never got many years and I thought that was a good way to end was I wished you had many years if they're only many years in our memory and some people translate that as memory eternal you know, it's a slight mistranslation, but I like the idea of your memory is eternal. If you are not right here with us, you're still you're still having many years. And uh, Odd Lang Syne, everyone heard that. You know, you'd go from place to place and there'd be a little bar on the corner, which is still there in German, celebrating 100 years, a little bar named Bottlers. And you would hear Odd Lang Syne, you know, should old acquaintance be forgot? Well, a couple years ago, I said, I don't really know what. What's an old acquaintance? and be forgot and never. <laughs> so I did some research into Robert Burns, who who some credit with that, some credit a little older. But I just thought that's such a great song. It's such a great thought, but I want to do it kind of in English so that a child listening to it will go, I know what they're saying. They're not just saying nonsense, gibberish symbols. So I recorded uh, Good Old Times, which was kind of my, I, I tried to do my best translation of, of the Scottish and try to understand what the verses were saying about raising a glass. Let's raise a toast to those loved the most and to the days and good old times. 
And when you translate, you always take a little liberty, but I hope I got close. And I recorded that, and a friend of mine was supposed to do Tin Whistle on it because I thought, oh, you know, it needs kind of that Irish flair. And he says, do you mind if I do bagpipes? And I said, mind? You know, I would love that. And this was in the thick of the pandemic, so he was home. He did multiple tracks. And when I heard it with the bagpipes, I thought, this is how the song is meant to sound, that that just bringing you back to time... Uh, you know, time immemorial, those, the bagpipes are like, it's almost like a key to the past. And so I'm really proud of that. And I think about that as, as we're thinking about the new year, the old year leaving, who do we remember? Who do we thank? We raise a toast to those loved the most in the days and good old times, you know, because we'll all have good old time. No matter how old we are, we'll have our good old times. So remember and treasure and bring that treasure forward. an award-winning singer-songwriter from the Lehigh Valley who was here at the WVIA studio in the area where her family hailed from. She has created this CD, a new one titled Come From a Cold Town, and she was speaking with us about the recording and about her grandparents and her parents and the life they lived as residents, immigrants, in the anthracite coal fields here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Daria has received many awards and accolades for her work with children, and she has a website dedicated to that work, World Music for Children. There are files for parents and teachers and homeschoolers. There are activities and crafts, how to make instruments, songs to sing, how to acquire her CDs, and so much more. And that's just dariamusic.com, D-A-R-I-A music.com. And the new CD, Come From a Cold Town. 